Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs, raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hello and welcome to episode number 52 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by my ebook, Add Best Practices. When I worked at Facebook, I consulted with thousands of businesses, from solopreneurs to some of the most well-known marketers today, and from startups to worldwide consumer packaged goods companies. I compiled a list of the most often missed Facebook ad best practices and packaged them up nicely for you in an ebook that you can download for free at adbestpractices.com. Go ahead and pause the podcast, head over to adbestpractices.com so you can grab that ebook. We'll wait here. Today's guest is a mom to 18, a published author, podcaster, public speaker, minimalist, healthy life enthusiast, wannabe YouTuber, and she enjoys trading Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. She's also jonesing to do more traveling. She works with entrepreneurs to map out their vision and guide them through the process so that they stay out of overwhelm and in action, confident, on top of their game, and wondering what else is possible. I'm excited to introduce you to Jen Taylor. Hey, Jen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because I have what many people consider to be a big family. Um, I've got four girls, and they're all kind of still young, relatively close together. But then I read about you, I met you, and you blow me out of the water. So you are undoubtedly the parent of the largest family I've interviewed thus far, and I'd love to hear about your family composition. All right. Well, there's 18 of them, kids. So... This is the, the shortened Excel spreadsheet. I did foster care for 12 years. So I had a lot of kids that came in and left. It was more the revolving door. I was in a program at the time that did a foster adopt program where I wanted the kids that were coming into my home to be kids that would potentially never leave. So I ended up with five kids that I call the extras. I, I quote them as the extras. They never reunified with their parents. And the parental rights were never terminated, so I couldn't adopt them. Two of them, I probably, they all have different circumstances. Three of them, I would have adopted in a heartbeat. All five of them, I would have, actually. Three of them could have been adopted and weren't, and two of them was a more difficult situation. But regardless, they kind of came in and never left. So I have one, she came into my house at nine. She's now 30. She aged out with me. One that came in at 10 and is now 25. One that was 12 and is now 26. So they, once they came into the house, they never really left the house. Those kids are harder because they never had permanency and they kind of still as adults come and go. And they really struggle with their relationship with their parents more, I think, because they never had an adoptive permanent situation. It's like they, they became adults in, in as in the time of flux. And that's, it's hard to be real grounded with who your family is at that. So those are five extras. Uh, the other 13, I call them, and I'm quoting again, permanent residents, because I have papers on them, which is not the most politically correct thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very honest. So of those 13, five were adopted. And of those adoptions, three were at birth, which is remarkably rare. I mean, mm -hmm. one at birth is pretty uncommon through the foster care system, especially. And there are other ways to adopt and get infants, but I had three. I was at the hospital. One was two and one was five. So they don't remember life before me. And then I was pregnant seven times. Mm -hmm. I lost three and I gave birth to four. 
So I had nine plus those five extras and I was divorced, which is not what you think is going to happen when you're in that, when you're, when you're having a family. And my, my oldest biological daughter is now 26. And several years ago, she worked in the same place that I worked. And we had a coworker that was a mutual friend. And the two of them fixed me up with this guy. <laughs> I kind of like him. They fixed me up with Dane. And Dane had four children and his wife had died. So a whole new set of kids without a mom. So that completed the 13. So I don't count those four as stepchildren. I don't count those four as adopted. They're biological. And I'm like the surrogate. It's very different. Right. So I have biological, long-term foster, adopted, and kids whose mom died. And he was crazy enough to want to hang out with somebody that had 14 kids. And eight wow. Were, right? And eight were still at home. I had stopped foster care a couple of years before he and I met. But I continued doing it a couple of years after I was divorced. Three out of those five extras, well, I'm just making sure. Yeah, three out of the five extras I took on on my own as a single mom. And they stayed long term. And one of the adoptions. So that wasn't a condition. Like you didn't need to be, I don't know enough about the system. You didn't need to be married? Nope. They want really good homes with people that love these kids and want them. Sure. I had moved. I lived in Alaska when I did it with my ex-husband and I'd moved to Nevada where I still am uh, 14 years ago, but I had had like a decade of foster care experience and teaching. So I had done it long enough. I was uh, volunteering and teaching and teaching Head Start. So I was working with lower income families to not lose their kids. And I was working with potential foster families to foster and adopt children already. So when I moved to Nevada, I was presented with this situation that was kind of unique with three children. Uh, four children, actually, they were all four at the same time. But, you know, they can have the same dad and a different mom or the same mom and a different dad. And it was, so it was kind of like that. And one I adopted and three stayed long term. Wow, so, I can only imagine you need your own like CRM system to keep track of everything. <laughs> well, here's the really interesting thing. So out of the 13 permanent residents, and Dane and I have been together long enough and integrated our family well enough that it's not a yours, mine, or ours situation, really. It's not something that you, like, you get to your destination and you've completed being able to do a great job. It's a constant battle to stay on the same page and parent your kids. It is when you both are the biological parents of kids you gave birth to in a big family like you. It's a constant adjustment. Every personality of the children is different. But we really, people, the only question that I really dislike getting asked is which ones are yours? So oh. the kids just know. I'll look at them and be like, hey, guys, uh, which ones of you are mine? And they'll all raise their hand. Because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to line up my kids and be like, well, I had that one. And that one's mom died. And that one was adopted because their parents couldn't get their act together. Like, you, no, you right. never do that to a kid. And I know that that's probably not the place people come from when they're asking me which ones are mine. But I can tell you, if I lined up all 18 and you had to guess which four I gave birth to, you would never be right. And they're all Caucasian except for two Alaska Native. And that's just a fluke. There was no, I had no desire. I was totally open on male, female, and ethnicity and that's just the way it happened. And so you, you, no one would ever guess the four that I gave birth to, ever. But of the 13 permanent residents, 12 were born in 10 and a half years. Wow. So my son is 15 and a half, and my oldest daughter is 26. And there are 12 kids between 15 and 26. So when Dane and I got together, we knew a couple things. We knew that like I had three in diapers for a long time. I was always breastfeeding too. I was always pregnant, you know, back in the day. We knew that we would have a lot of kids at intense ages at the same time. And we would also have this mass exodus where we have a 26-year-old, two 22-year-olds, two 20-year-olds, two 19-year-olds, three 18-year-olds, a 16 and a 15. So I had three girls graduate this last June of 2018. And we have two in high school. And then we have the seven-year age gap, and I have an eight-year-old daughter. And the five extras are all between the ages of that 15 up to 30 years old. So we have 17 kids between the ages of 15 and 30. In 15 years, we have 17 kids. So it was awesome because they always had 
they always paired up, but not always the same pairs or Mm -hmm. four at a time or three at a time. They always had a friend. They always had someone to talk to. They always had somebody to argue with. They always had somebody to play with. The older kids, I was part of a, a school for many years that I loved where it was second to eighth grade combined class of 24 kids. It was a charter Mm. school and it was phenomenal. And I kind of work my family similarly to the charter school where the older kids shadow the younger kids. So you need to read for 30 minutes and she needs to be read too. So they'd sit at the bar in the kitchen and read to, and so they help with math. And I just, we kind of had the kitchen dining room open always. And it was the hub And I could be making dinner and kind of overseeing everything. And I also homeschooled for several years. And there were a lot of transitions in that. But we knew that we would be at this mass exodus. And because my 26-year-old daughter, I had her at 21. I was married. I went to infertility. It was planned, but I was very young. And Dane was also 21 when his oldest was born. We knew we would be young at the end, too. Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm 47 now. And in three years, we'll be down to one child. And right now with three children, I have not had only three children in my house in 19 years. That's incredible. So we never, we haven't wanted to buy a house. I mean, I have had no desire to buy a house for the last 14 years or so since I moved to Nevada, at least, because the need four square footage and how it was set up is it's not even remotely the same now as it was then. And so this, we knew Dane and I had planned that the first, we planned a few years ago, the first summer we would think about purchasing a home would be this summer of 2018 until you've been renting thus far. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) With intent, because I, I wouldn't have wanted to keep the house we would have bought five years ago. I mean, four years ago, we had 12 kids at home and we have three now. Yeah. No, I can imagine that's a huge transformation. Huge. And we we're minimalists anyway, which has helped with having a large volume of people. But as kids have moved out, they have the opportunity to take all their furniture with them or we donate it. You know, there, there was someone that's like, well, you don't want to keep bedroom space in case they move back. And I'm like, not really. (laughs) I'm not running a hostel. (laughs) No, I want to downsize to what I need. And being a safety net for my kids isn't having a spare bedroom for them when they get stuck. It's the mindset too, where people who have two kids maybe would keep that same house forever and they'd, they'd keep those bedrooms and they'd... Right, and that would make sense, but you don't need 18 bedrooms. Not really. (laughs) tell me a little bit about how you guys made money you mentioned being a teacher at one point you also mentioned homeschooling at one point so what did that look like for you guys so my ex-husband is a doctor I stayed home the time we were married and I um I homeschooled the kids I did foster care there and then everything I did as far as teaching was volunteer Um, I didn't need to make an income we were blessed in that regard and when we divorced 13, 14 years ago, I had to go back to work. And at that point, because of the situation with the foster kids that I took in, I didn't get paid for that either. So that's rare. That's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. It was a very special case. And I made sure that those kids had the extra services that they needed through the foster care system, but I didn't actually get paid for the foster care per se. So I went to work. I mean, at first I was working three jobs. And, you know, I sold Mary Kay, that's like another life, but I did that kind of in the evening. And then I worked two jobs in the day. One of the jobs was at the kid's school. Okay. So the eight-year-old wasn't here yet. She wasn't around 14 years ago. So all the kids were close in age and I made sure I had a job where they were. So I could spend as much time and kind of have my finger on the pulse Mm -hmm. of what was happening with my kids. So I worked at their school for quite a while. I have my license as a hairdresser and I have for years. I haven't been in a salon for several years, but one that saved us a ton of money in our family. (laughs) So part of raising a big family is reducing expenses. Right. And part of that is capitalizing on everything that you do make. And then I, I mean, I worked jobs where I could get them, whether I was doing hair or I was working at the kid's school I have a unique skill set in running businesses. So if you looked at my resume, you'd be like, wow, 
it's a very interesting skill set where I have been accustomed for many years to getting 20 to $25 an hour. Finding work is the hard part, but having this knowledge base to do the work is not what the issue was. So I've kind of gotten jobs everywhere that I could that made sense with either locations that aligned with my kids and spending more time with them or aligned with our personal values and doing that. And, you know, working from home has opened up a lot of opportunity, which is what I've done for the most part for the last three years. But I still supplement that by taking on temp jobs for companies or working for people for shorter amounts of time. But you do what you got to do to get by. You do. And it's interesting because my daughter who's 26, Bree, was in high school and kids are honest and they're not always polite. And someone said, well, I thought your mom was a single mom and you have like this huge family and of however many kids we had back then, 11, I don't, I have no idea. (laughs) And, and she said, yeah, that's true. You know, my mom's a single mom and there's 11 of us at home. And he said, so how is it that you were Abercrombie? And (laughs) my best friend calls me scrappy, which is a really less filtered way of saying that I'm very resourceful. So you get good at the things you need to get good on. I wanted my kids to not feel picked on at school about the clothes they were wearing. And so back then, like 10, 12 years ago, eBay used to sell lots of kids clothes that were really inexpensive. And so I would, we look at some of the lots of clothes and I was raised way below poverty level. So I never felt like I think you have, we all have a couple personal beliefs, right? Mine are you can never be overdressed or overeducated. You don't have to have a degree to be overeducated. Everything is about your attitude and the point of view that you come at it. So if I want my kids to not be made fun of and love the clothes that they're wearing and have that part of my life be easier, well, then how do I meet that need with a limited budget? Uh, You go to thrift stores. So we used to have like, competitions on who could find the highest quality piece of clothing for the least amount of money. So I remember one time I got this satin skirt from Ann Taylor that still had the tags on it. And it was like $110 and I got it for eight. Like that was my score. And it was fun with the kids to go pop some tags. And I made it fun. I made, I thought everything should be an adventure. It's an adventure. So a huge part of it was just meeting certain needs in a certain way. And how do you make that happen? And I love that like you talked about cutting the kids' hair by yourself, which yes. like says so finding creative ways to cut costs. And I'll tell you, I don't have any sort of cosmetology degree. And I've cut my kids' hair in the kitchen because sometimes times get tough and you're like right. even 10, 20 bucks a pop to take four kids to get their hair cut. Oh my gosh, you if you can do it for that, right? Right. And it's like, you're just doing your best. I've seen plenty of people cut hair. I know they put hair between their two fingers and they trim. So I just did my, like I did what I've seen other people do. And now I'm sure that a trained like hairstylist would be able to be like, Oh no, that's (laughs) like, what is that? Like, what is that shape? Like, but the kids looked good enough from pictures. You couldn't tell. And they were so happy and proud of themselves. And like you said, it saves money. So I love the idea of finding creative ways to save money by DIYing it and then finding creative ways to find the things that you want on discount. Oh, I am like the queen. I mean, there are lots of people that have the same title as me. It's not like I'm necessarily better than anyone else, but the kids need to eat. The electricity needs to stay on. All of that stuff has to happen. So how, how are we going to do it? And I would just, I'm very scrappy. So the Mary Kay, was that your first like entrepreneurial endeavor? No, I remember, uh, (laughs) I mean, I was on board with some MLMs like Amway. I did Amway Amway, like 25 years ago. And I wasn't at that point opposed to that model because, Mm -hmm. okay, here with a limited amount of money, you can have your own business with quite a lot of support. I always think it's awesome when people get involved in an MLM company and do well. I'm not one of them. And, <laughs> and I have the personality that people are like, oh my gosh, you'd be perfect. You have the person. No, I don't. I'm outgoing and I can believe in a product and I can support it, but I would rather have you as a 
person who has an MLM and I like your products and I will pimp the heck out of them and I will order to support you because I understand the model. I am not on board with joining. So like my, my mom does doTERRA. I love doTERRA. And every time I buy it, it's going to be from her. You know, I, right. I, I get it. And I know, and she gives me a discount. So it's all cool. We're all in it to win it. But um, I think my first, well, first of all, my ex-husband was a doctor and we, we hung the shingle. He's a dentist. We opened the business, looked at purchasing an existing one, decided to just start from scratch. And that whole process I did with him. So, you know, in the beginning we had the, we're in Alaska, so it's a little different mentality up there, but we literally had a cordless phone on the counter in the room and Brie was five and I had, Olivia was like seven months old at the time. And I had her on a backpack playing with a saliva ejector in my hair. You know, I had like toys hooked to the backpack across my shoulders and I was assisting him and I had to learn how to be a dental assistant. And if the phone rang, I had a notepad and the cordless phone on the counter. And that's how we started. And in Alaska, especially we're talking 20 21 years ago, you could do that. So I worked in the dental industry when we got divorced. That was one of the jobs. I went to the school and I, I worked in the dental office because although it wasn't my dream, I knew it from the ground up. So when we, when we got busy enough, he hired an assistant and I was the front desk. And when we got busy enough, I just did the books. And, and then I ended up not doing that. So that was probably my first big venture. And that was a huge venture into being an entrepreneur or having your own, running your own show. And then the MLMs, yes, that was the beginning. And then just being scrappy and having a need and figuring out how to do it. And, and the, the advent of the internet. And then thinking, okay, well, here we have the internet. And then we have my skill set and everything I offer. And how do we marry those? So it was sort of, you know, things are born out of your struggle or your story. Mm -hmm. And I'm no different in that way. Now, what, if anything, have your kids picked up? Or I know some of your kids are adults age now. What are they pursuing? Geez, they're all over the board. I mean, I have one that's an LPN and one that went, a couple that have gone trade. I have like five that are in college. Bree is all business and accounting. The girl's all stats and econ. I, she did not get that from me. So I think what I probably tried to teach them is that scrappy attitude, kind of take your experiences and take the things that you like and find a place where you can blend them. And so you can make anything exciting and fun. We can start talking about waste management and I can guarantee we can make it exciting and fun and something that you want to be invested in that you can support. And it never mattered to me. It never mattered to me what the kids did as long as it was what they loved to do and no one was getting hurt in the process. So they're all over the board. And a lot of them have wanted to be like veterinarians. A lot of them, I have two going to school for, to be a physician's assistant. One wants to be in pediatrics of some sort. One wants to be a veterinarian. We'll see how that all goes over time. They're not done yet. So that can change. A couple that want, that are in business. So where they'll take that is another thing. Okay. You can be an accountant and a business major. That means you can run anything. So where is your passion to run things? What do you want to do? And Bree's got the most life experience. She's helping people with financial planning. So the interesting thing is that regardless of what from whether they're like learning tile setting as a trade or auto mechanics, I have a daughter who's in the Air Force Guard. Every one of them has chosen something where a huge part of the job is innately helping other people with something that stresses them out. And I find that very interesting. Well, it's got to be a product of their upbringing. I mean, they were raised to help each other. Like you talked about that earlier, that everybody was raised to help each other. And you're a team and we do things together. And no, I don't like cleaning, but the chore wheel says these things need to get done and you're on the list to do them. So how do we make this fun? I thought everything needed to be an adventure, everything. And I get lost everywhere I go. So one thing that my kids have heard me say, thousands of times probably is like, they're like, Hey mom, do you know where you're going? And I'm like, it's okay. I've been lost here before. Like, that's my, I, I got this. I'll figure it out. We're on an adventure. I've been lost here before. And so if something looks remotely familiar, but I have no idea where I am because I'm directionally challenged, let's make it into a game. And so they just knew that 
you, it's okay. You've been lost here before. You just kind of get through stuff and um, you work as a team and you rely on each other and don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's what we're there for as people. So I feel like this might be like the, <laughs> the most over asked question, but I'm going to ask it because I want to hear your answer. How do you balance everything? Like what's your number one tip for balance when it comes to 18 kids, the stuff you want to do, making enough money to hold the family? Like what's your key for balance? That's the thing I get asked to speak on the most is finding balance and reducing stress. So, <laughs> um, so well, I think many of us can't, we str- I struggle with, with balance and stress and I've got four kids. I can't imagine quadrupling that. So, but that's just the thing is that it's your reality. True. Yes. So you, first of all, you're not in anyone else's shoes. So it should never be a competitive game in any direction. Why is she more successful than I am? It just should never because we're all so individual and we don't know what each other are going through really. But I think to find balance, first of all, with money, you know, Dane and I have to really talk about it. There have been times where his job tanked and I was the one with the most financial support and my job tanked and he's the one which the last three years off and on, he, it's been him more than me. And then I'll work and I'll get this income and I've got it for eight months. And that, you know, so finances, end of story is just a communication and balancing act between the two of you. So it's a list of these things have to get paid and we have, we have it written down. These are our fixed bills and we got rid of everything that we possibly could. We don't have cable, but we do have Netflix and Hulu. So you, you make those decisions. We don't have a house full there's just certain things we realize we don't need to be paying for this. We're not, we're not using it. There's not as much of a benefit. So I think financially you go through what you have to pay your fixed payments and get rid of, unload everything that you can and have less fixed payments. And the same thing with debt. We both have, and he's winning this race right now because his income's been higher the last couple of years. So I'll let him have this one. But we looked at what our debt was and we kind of did the same thing. And we followed the model that you're taught. You know, you take the least expensive one and you pay it off and then you put all that money into the net. And he's at the very end. So he and I had to sit down and be on the same page. And as a, if you want relationship financial advice, we both have our own accounts and then we have a joint account. And the joint account is only for the joint bills. I always tell him, you have your own account so you can surprise me with gifts. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like gifts, but you know, I give him a hard time. That's so I don't know about the vacation you paid for that you're surprising me with next week. Um, <laughs> and you have to just be lighthearted. Finances are stressful and so communication is key. And we have date night once a week, but that doesn't mean we spend money. I like that too. Here's the next thing as far as minimizing stress is that he and I, if we fall apart, the whole family does. It's a domino effect. And we've definitely had those times over the years where things were falling apart. And we're blessed that I think the lesson in this was that we, we didn't ever both want to quit at the same time. And that's partially luck and partially just because I think in a relationship, you have to balance each other out. And we also, again, communicated, not always well but we communicated and we're both pretty laid back and we both know that if we fail, everything else comes tumbling down. It's like a house of cards. So that has to be the number one relationship in this house is his and mine. And without that, we don't have much to give anyone else. And uh, adding to that is that we have to take care of ourselves so that I'm a huge proponent of self-care. I think it kind of, it's like a buzzword. It gets overused a little mm-hmm. bit, but it's you, they tell you in the airplane, put your oxygen mask on first. And that's also overused, but it's also true. So I am no good for anyone if I'm no good for me. So we balance off him, I don't even have a gym membership, but he does. He plays on basketball teams. I'm a runner. I've done a lot of stuff over the years, fitness competitions and running and stuff. But I wanted to say, we started off as young parents and I wanted to end off as young parents. I don't know what 47 is supposed to feel like, but it feels pretty great. So definitely better than the 20s when I was pregnant all the time. <laughs> and we talked about that on my podcast. I mean, yeah. it was a lot for your body and stuff. Too. So I, I think the 40s are better than the 20s. And the 30s was the middle ground where I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting better. We're not having kids anymore. So some of that changes and we wanted to feel good and have our kids out of the house and know 
we were still young and could do things. And so we maintain our health and that's part of budgeting is menu planning and shopping for healthy foods and cooking almost everything, which we I've done for like 27 years now and just having some balance as far as taking care of ourselves. And then we look, look at the kids and that sounds like you're doing a whole lot of stuff before the kids even come on your radar, but you don't. I go running at five o'clock in the morning because it's before the kids are up. I have a group of women. It's, I call them the soccer mom group. We all meet at five and we run four and a half miles twice a week. And on the weekends we meet at six 30 on Saturday and we run like eight miles and because running is my outlet and how I like to stay healthy, and that's my self-care thing, I have to figure out the time that it's going to work. We also live in Nevada that gets extremely hot. So if that's a priority for me, I have to do it at 5 a.m. If I don't do it at 5 a.m., it's clearly not a priority for me. So none of those things takes a ton of time, but they have to be in the right order. We didn't do a date this weekend because Dane hurt his back. And so we ended up not doing it. So we ran to Home Depot alone and I'm like, yes, this is our date. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to kind of, you got to go with it. You have to, <laughs> we're getting weed eater on our date. This is fantastic. And a rake, you're killing me. Just, and, <laughs> we're really and then, lucky. <laughs> we're, and then, you know, as far as the kids, the biggest thing for us was dinner time. So I implemented something 20 something years ago and it's called Hilo. So at dinner, when the kids were little, I had to, and it wasn't even internet back then, but I had to shut down the rest of my life to focus on them for 60 minutes. Because you know, as a mom, you're going in a million different directions. And I worked a lot of a time or ran a business. And so it was hard for me to just sit down for 30 to 60 minutes at dinner time and not focus on anything but the people at my table. And as they've gotten older, now I look at them and said, you know what? I shut down my life the whole time you were growing up to give you 30 to 60 minutes because you were my priority. And now that you're a teenager, we have a no phone, no, no phones allowed. It's a technology free hour and it doesn't usually take an hour, but now you need to give me the same respect and shut everything out for 30 to 60 minutes. Your Snapchat can wait till we're done dinner. <laughs> so that was a big deal. And we did high low and everybody would have a turn. We'd go around the table and you could say one low, which is a bad thing about your day. Cause we have a son who's autistic and there's a couple different aspects to our family dynamic, which made it like, if this is not negativity, poor me time. So you could talk about one thing that wasn't good. And then you could talk about your highs, the good things about your day. So I'm all about the gratitude journal. If you could just write down three things you're grateful for every night. And one thing that happened that wasn't that great in a journal, you notice over time, you don't have many lows because you realize even if they happen, you're not giving them as much value in your life. Mm. And you have more of that attitude of, yeah, but all these great things happened. So we did high-low. That singled each child out. It took 30 to 60 minutes <laughs> back when there were like 14 or 15 of us around the table. And um, we got to kind of spotlight every member of the family because every one of them is important. And sometimes it's like the middle child syndrome. Some of them feel lost in the shuffle, even if they're not they feel that way. So it really helped to make sure everybody had some spotlight time for a little bit. That is eye-opening. People should start doing that with their little kids, just doing high-low. And we also have conversation starter cards, some I've bought, some I've printed. So our eight-year-old likes those the best. If you could have any one superpower, what would it be and why? It's just like starting the, a conversation with the people that you're hanging out with to see what they said. You know, what was your favorite family memory? If you were the parent, how would you punish your parents? <laughs> so, uh -oh. I mean, uh, yeah, they were good. They were, they're they strict. So I really feel like setting time out every day and dinner so easy because it's happening anyway, just to really focus on them. And we did dates with our kids, kind of rotate through when we can and what they want to do. And dates aren't, they morph into what the kids want. Like, can we go to the mall and you can buy me stuff? And dates are about spending time with that person. So if Dane and I aren't spending money and we're going on a walk, then you can go on a walk. You can go to the park alone with your dad or alone with me or with the two of us. And it can be a trip to the park by yourself. That's right. a date. So it's just on a constant revolving door of keeping balance. And then people get sick and stuff happens and 
you just kind of roll with it. So there's no, I wish there was a magic wand. I have my eight ball, you know, and I could tell you the perfect formula for balance and reducing stress, but it's really menu planning and making lists and using sticky notes and communicating and going with the flow. It was all great information though. It's, it's cool to hear the different ways that you've applied similar. I mean, we talk about the same things in a lot of our episodes. Like everybody has similar approaches to balance, but everybody actually applies them differently. So like the whole concept of high lows hasn't really come out before. Other people have touched on gratitude journals, but not in the same way. So I really enjoy hearing each unique perspective on what's worked because not the same thing isn't going to work for everybody. It's not. I think you have to recognize, well, what are the issues that are creating stress? I just did a public speaking engagement about this. What are they? Because yours are going to be different than mine. And make a list. And then out of that list, cross off, put a line through everything that you cannot control. Being cut off on the highway, you cannot control. Someone getting sick, you can increase vitamin C. It's not, you, there are <laughs> things that you, that are stressful, but you have no control over. So we're really hard on ourselves and really stressed. And when you put a line through all of the things that you cannot control on your little whiteboard, you know, on your sheet of paper, you realize, oh, well, that guy that cut me off today, I let him control my entire day and my attitude and he doesn't yes. even know it, right? Well, you're relinquishing your own feeling. Nobody can make you feel a certain way. You can allow them to make you feel a certain way. And I think for me, a long, long, long time ago, I realized that, well, I have control about how I react to that thing, even if I can't control what happens. And so am I always great at it? No, but I, it's very front of mind. The stress in my life that I can't control, I need to figure out, okay, so what can I do about it and move on? Because I'm not going to give that much energy to something or someone who doesn't know and doesn't care, quite honestly. And then the other stress that maybe you can control, okay. So now let's look at management. So is it a time issue? Is it a money issue? What is the issue that's creating the stress to that contributing? And how can you diffuse as much of it as possible? And sometimes it's like, have a glass of wine and a bubble bath. <laughs> we don't drink very much at all, but man, on the nights I do, I'm like, I am not driving. So I'm just letting everybody know right now, if you see any alcohol in my hand, I'm off duty. And take yourself off duty. It's okay. We can't be everything to everyone all the time. So... I kind of joke about that all the time with my kids. We have a pretty strict bedtime in my house right now. My kids are still relatively young. 10 is my oldest. And um, 7 o'clock is when we do bed. 7 o'clock. And they've asked me why. And I tell them because that's when the nice mommy goes home. Yeah. Like the nice mommy is only here until 7 <laughs> o'clock. And then I need you guys to go to bed because that's where my tolerance ends. Yeah. Because we're up. I mean, they're up. Six o'clock is average, but not always the earliest. So there are days that they're up at 5.30. And so by 7 p.m. with no naps, I'm done. And Amen. they don't have to sleep right away. Like they can read books in bed yep. and they share their bed. So, I mean, we're not like awful strict parents, but that's when the nice mommy goes home. And so it's in everybody's best interest <laughs> to go to bed. Well, I've said the same thing. Well, I'm not a night person. I'm a morning person. And if I have to run at five, I'm up at four 30. I'm not going to function. And I just know, cause I'm not a night person. Eight o'clock was my cutoff. That's my cutoff. And our youngest goes to bed at eight 30. And we started that this year in third grade. And I'm like, that was a mistake. We should have not done that because why not do eight o'clock as bedtime with a half an hour till lights out. And one of the older kids can shut her light out. Right. But the same sort of thing. I told him I'm ER. After 8 p.m., I am ER. If you have a nightmare, if you are sick, if there is something that is of some amount of urgency, if you are less afraid to wake me up than you are, I <laughs> mean, like, get the scale out. I'm not angry when I get woken up. If somebody is sick, I want, I will right. get up exactly. and I will help. I'm not angry with you. I'm not all there. I'm right. not my best self. <laughs> I may be like, saying stuff that doesn't entirely make sense in the situation. But, I mean, we've had situations where I was like, okay, I mean, even just like a week ago, that would have been a good time to wake me up. I'm more mad that you didn't wake me up than if you had. And so what if I'm upset that you woke me up? You woke me up. I'm totally disoriented. I wake you guys up in the morning for school and you're kicking pillows across the room. So like, you know, you need to cut each other some slack. But I always told them, unless you have to be bleeding from a main artery to wake me up after eight o'clock, just I'm done. <laughs> 
So right, doesn't that minimize stress in your life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's easy. Right. And you have 10 freaking minutes to say hello to your husband and wind down. Yeah. And it's it's the same. It's consistent. I mean, it's very rare. Like 4th of July, we strayed from that for fireworks. But it's very rare that we stray from that schedule and the kids expect it. There's no arguments. It's just the way it is. I know. And I tell them it's not because you need sleep. It's because I need sleep. Exactly. <laughs> Read books all night. I don't care. Yeah. You just have to recognize the areas where there's tension and figure out can you diffuse it? And if you can, how can you diffuse that? Honestly, we had three kids graduate and they're all in that moving out phase, which is exciting for them. And I'm excited for them. And I would never be sad or upset. You're leaving me to go to college because I'm not the parent that's going to take away their enthusiasm for that. I think that that's selfish as parents to try to hold our kids back or live vicariously through them. And, but one of them was moving to a different state. And I'm telling you, the last couple months before she left, I thought, I'm going to lose it. I don't even want to be in my own house. There's so much tension. It's just constant. Now, all I could do in that situation is recognize that it's exciting and it's also scary. And -hmm. there's lots to get done. And this is coming from a fear-based place of not knowing what to expect. And branching out from the security of your family, as much as you as adult kids, you know, those 18 year olds think that we don't know anything and haven't been in their shoes and are totally brain dead, but they have all the answers. We know once you set foot out the door, you'll be fine. And on the morning she left, she was sobbing. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, I'm sad to leave everybody. And I said, this is how this is going to go down. You're going to cry and cry and cry. I'm going to push you out the door into your car. I'm going to like shove your head into the car and shut and lock your door and like push it down the street. And you're going to be crying. And then you're going to get on the highway and your GPS is going to be up and running and you're going to be like, woohoo. And it's going to switch like a light switch. Because just getting, just taking, you know, we've all done that, right? You right. have something big and taking that step is agonizing. So I knew the last couple of months of her living at home, that agony was because of that process she was going through. That doesn't make it any more fun to live with. And it doesn't make me a whole lot less irritated about, you know, the attitude. But it, it does mean that, okay, we just, <laughs> we counted down the days. I mean, Dane and I, I was like, we have 13 days left. We just have to get through 13. That's it. It's 11. We're, you know, we're high. I'm like, you know, she had an outburst and I was, I just looked at him and he said five days and we high fived and kept walking in opposite directions. You know, like you just kind of have to buckle down and go through the turbulence. You just have to go through it. And you know, she's not, she hasn't been, it's been a week. She's been gone and there's, there's no tension in the household. And And she's doing well, right? Great. She's, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, she's already complaining about a roommate and normal, you know, oh, it's not perfect. Like you assured us it would be. No, but I mean, she was like the 11th child or the 13th <laughs> child or I 11, 12, 13. Yeah. I mean, like we've gone through this before. And so it was a huge sense of stress for a couple of months. It was really stressful in my house and you have to kind of like batten down. And sometimes there's nothing you can do except get through it. And that's just part of having kids. It doesn't look like Pinterest. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Their lunchbox don't look like Pinterest. My cake making skills. I'm like, I was joking with my best friend earlier. I'm like, hashtag Pinterest failure. And that's okay. I saw something. I think I've even referenced it before, but it says, I used to be a Pinterest mom, but now I'm an Amazon Prime mom. And it's like, yep. Yep. Like I'm, I am crafty and creative, but like the time and the, as much as I enjoy it, the stress that accompanies it. Nope. I just order that stuff now (laughs) and no guilt. My kids don't care. They love it just the same. No, they don't care. I, that I have to say as a parent, one of the huge areas of stress is all of the pressure we put on my ourselves that really doesn't exist. We're creating the stress. And I don't even mean that from a place where like there's some personalities that crave chaos, like everything has to be drama. I'm not even talking about that. A normal parent trying to get through life. Man, your best friends are called resources. Someone asked me once, are you good at everything you do? And I said, yeah, I don't do the stuff I'm not good at. (laughs) Doesn't that make total sense to everyone? And it's not that I don't do anything I'm not good at. It's that I really, really, really try hard to find someone who's good in areas I'm not, and then we're resources for each other. So 
when I go to give, when I, I tell my best friend, oh yeah, I just got asked to do a public speaking engagement. She's like, okay, let me know when you're ready. Because I will email her or call her and say, I need this spreadsheet. I can do the PowerPoint, but like the handouts, they have all the pretty boxes on them and they're labeled. I can do them. I'm going to be angry, take an hour and throw my computer against the wall. <laughs> it takes her 30 seconds. So I just looked at everything in my life that I'm not that great at. And who do I know that is great? Then their light gets to shine. And I'm not this stressed out person trying to do something fitting this, the square peg in the round hole constantly. And I, I think as parents, we want to look like we've got it all together and there's nothing that we can't do. And that's just such crap because we can't, nor should we. So I know we're, go we're our time is getting short, but I had a, I'll, I'll end on, maybe we can end on this story. I had a daughter who had a suicide attempt almost two years ago. So her sister, it was on her sister's 16th birthday on November 7th. So it'll be two years. And she was 14 and her 16 year old sister recognized that I was working and Dane called me home and he just said, you know, she's really sick. You need to come home. And I brought her into urgent care. And you know, you, when you know that something's not right and you can't figure something out, it's like that word you can't remember, but it's right there. And we're in the doctor's office and she's laying down and my other daughter's holding her hand. And the doctor is saying, have you used tampons? Have you eaten any raw fish? And I'm like, okay, toxic shock, food poison. I'm going through. And I looked at her and I said, wait a minute, please tell me this is not what I think it is. Cause I'm pretty sure I know what's going on, but you need to be the one to say something. And Gabby, my, my 16 year old daughter said, before we went in, said privately to her, either you're telling them or I'm telling them. And so she said, I'm right here. You just need to tell them. And so she got rushed to the ER. A social worker comes in the middle of the night. This is like 10 hours later and says, are you comfortable bringing your daughter home? And I taught foster parents. I trained them. I did all this teaching. And one of the things I taught was suicide awareness. So I had asked this particular, I mean, I've asked all my children, have you ever had a suicidal thought? Have you ever thought of killing yourself? And I'd asked her more. I knew that there was something up with her and she always denied it. And so when the social worker came into the hospital room, he said, are you comfortable taking your daughter home? And I said, absolutely not. I will drive her from here to West Hills, which is the agency that works with homicidal, suicidal situations. And I will tell them that I want her to be in their 10-day program. I said, I teach suicide awareness. And I know that when a first attempt is unsuccessful, if there's a second attempt, it has a 98% success rate. So the second you catch a suicide attempt and you're like, it's okay, we're all here. We'll get you all the help you need. And you like take that big, like, oh, thank God we caught it. And you're like, we'll be right. You're fine. Go to sleep. We'll be right back. That, that moment, that's when they're successful. When you're taking the sigh of relief, thank God we caught this. And the social worker said, okay, no problem. Now, would anybody ever, this is an extreme situation, I understand, but would anybody ever think I'm less than for asking for help? No. For bringing my daughter to a place, if I can help my children at a level seven and she's at a level 12, I need to find somebody who bridges that gap. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just because it's an extreme situation, and she did, she went for 10 days. I had to peel her off me sobbing and hand her over to the nurse who had to hold her back from being like literally wrapped around me crying, begging not to leave. And I unwrapped her and walked out the door and drove away and then broke down. <laughs> but she was in there for 10 days. I got to visit her and she learned a lot of the skills and we talked on the phone and then she came home and I was comfortable. Now we've bridged that gap. There are so many areas in our life where we're trying to bridge the gap by ourselves. It doesn't have to be something massive like a suicide attempt of one of our kids. We can do a lot of things daily to add compound interest to our lives in a positive way. And there are lots of things we can do daily to decrease that stress and have compound interest affect in our lives. Compound interest isn't just how much the amortization of your house. Mm -hmm. So I think people need to be much kinder to themselves and know that there's no stigma on not being good at something. And there's no stigma on asking for help. And there's nothing about you that's less than. So stop thinking that there is because you're creating that within yourself and you don't need to. I'm telling you right now, there's a couple things I would look at another mom or dad, but I would look at you and say, there's nothing to fix here. There's nothing to fix here. There's nothing wrong with you. 
There is nothing to fix here. Okay. And the other thing is you are enough. So we need to stop comparing ourselves to the Pinterest life we see or the social media that portrays this beautiful, glamorous life. I mean, nobody looks at me and thinks, oh, you probably had a daughter who tried to kill herself two years ago. Well, you don't need to. You, we see what we want in other people. And most of the time, it's what we feel like we're lacking. Hmm. So either use them as a resource or let it go because there's nothing to fix here. Man, that gave me goosebumps. <laughs> Good. Just a powerful story. So where can our listeners learn more about you and, and follow you on social media and learn more about what you offer? JenTaylor.net. And it's two N's in Jen. I mean, I have the most Wonder Bread White name from New England from 1970 you could possibly ever have. So <laughs> it's jentaylor.net. All my social media links are on there. There's a contact form. My Google phone number is on there. So you can leave messages if you want to. There's a contact page for email. I mean, basically you can find me, you can search Jen Taylor hashtag rerouting on Google and my podcast and stuff shows up. But basically the blog, the podcast, if you want to purchase the book that I wrote, if you want to interact with me, if you need an online business manager or social media marketer and you want to hire me, I mean, basically it's all there. And from there, you can find me on any, whatever social media platform is right for you. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. This is the second time we've connected. Yes. And I feel like we could dive deeper and deeper and deeper into things, but I really appreciate you taking time out to speak to me and share your message with my listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You'll find all of the links mentioned to this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 52. Last week, we welcomed Ami Quirconi, a marketing and business development consultant by day and a self-help vigilante by night. Ami's career has spanned from inventing a recycled content countertop product in her garage, all while having two small children at the same time, to creating two successful rural wedding venues and writing the only book on how to do that available, to now using her creative and varied experiences to help other businesses grow and be successful. But along the road of entrepreneurship, she's banged her shins on a few hurdles and began to uncover the importance of parenting, mental health, and self-improvement, not only for her as a businesswoman, but also what she needed to know about being an aware parent to her now teenage kids. Make sure you go back and give that episode a listen. Next week, we'll welcome Shelby Moore. She's a self-proclaimed multi-passionate entrepreneur and a mom to two under two. In 2011, Shelby met her husband while working at Walt Disney World. They bonded over their love for entrepreneurship and all things Disney. Shortly after, they launched their travel planning agency, where they help other families plan magical vacations to Disney destinations all over the world. Shelby has also successfully launched an event planning business, wrote a vacation planning guidebook, and now coaches business owners and influencers on how to use Instagram to grow their business. In this episode, we're going to touch on Instagram, and we're going to talk about Disney. Don't miss that one. Subscribe to the podcast today so that you are getting each of our episodes as they release. And we'll see you at the same time and the same place next week. Have a good one. Bye. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Bye.